Welcome to the Wisdom of Madness with Rasuli and Jesh Darox. Two friends from different worlds discuss the beauty and mystery of creativity. Kindred is basically the culmination of the last 15 years of my life, but it's a very simple set of uh, interactions and uh, mostly nonverbal communication that people do that lights up the mirror neuron system in the body uh, that ends up generating a lot of beautiful feelings and enables people to enter into ecstatic states uh, using each other to help them get there rather than to suppress that. Because usually the way that we use our signals to other humans is often uh, to you know, say, be careful, don't be weird, we suppress. But instead, kindred is about helping people to send their signal to open. And we are so strongly affected by the other humans, so strongly, like our whole body is wired to be deeply affected by the other, that when people consciously send the signal to open instead of to close, it works more powerfully than, than drugs, you know, more powerfully than food and all of the other things that we use to try to access our feeling state. And it's called kindred because it's about people helping each other. Do you access some kind of entity? Well, you could say that. I mean, I believe, mostly I just believe the body is not what we've been told that it is. I think it's a really powerful artistic instrument on a scale that far, far surpasses any of the other supposed instruments. This body created all of the other things that we call artistic instruments, and it created all of the arts, you know, and it created so much. And so people are used to thinking of art as something outside of themselves. They're used to thinking of creation as something that you do out here. Of course, a master as yourself knows that that's not actually true. The things we're doing outside are just ripples of the stuff that's actually happening in here. But because most people think that art is something that happens outside of themselves, you have huge percentages of the population that judge themselves and say things like, oh, I'm not a creative, I'm not an artist. And while they're saying that, literally their body is creating new blood cells and <laughs> new lung cells and new eye cells from blueberries and avocados or whatever they ate that day, that's a way more powerful act of creation <laughs> than any artist has ever done on the outside of themselves. And it's happening billions of times per second. And so Kindred is really about creating these spaces of these small gatherings and stuff where people are tapping into that part of the creative energy. And it's so thrilling to watch people suddenly realize, oh, wow, I'm a a creative and not just any creative i'm a powerful creative to get to be there and witness those veils dropping is the privilege of my life i've gotten to see that veil drop 10,000 times you know and i'm just getting started hmm. last night i had a discussion i talked to this group of people and i was taking one of hafiz's poems mm. 
and I was analyzing it and I was getting deep into it and sharing. And it really connects with what you're talking about because something came up. And the reason that I talk to the group of people is not because I'm a teacher and I have no interest in teaching. In fact, as you know, I'm not, I have no interest in learning. It's, <laughs> it's all about doing things through doing you learn. Mm. But last night on this office poem, the whole program was about the relationship with the, between the body mm. and the soul, mm. body and the spirit. And that's why I see that kindred thing completely connected with it. As you know, body is completely different from the spirit. Mm -hmm. has nothing to do with it. Mm. Body is the container and the spirit is the content. Mm -hmm. Body is the cup and the content is the wine. The interesting part of it is that we pay more attention to the cup and we assume that the content is going to be in it, but we ignore the content. Mm. And when we took our first breath, when we came out of our mother's womb, the first breath that we took was breath of divinity that came through us because up to there, we were only a box. Everything was built as a box and our brain was janitor who takes care of this box mm. and knows what to do with it and keeps it proper. The question is, where do we use our spirit, our soul, or where do we use our body? Mm. The body seems to be the portal to the spirit. This was what was interesting in Hafez's poem, because I was discovering that there is a relationship between body and the soul. But that relationship is a very subdued type of relationship, which is the portal to the other one. That's why the mystics talk about in order to experience divine love, you have to have experienced physical love. If you have not experienced physical love, it's not possible Powerful. to experience that. It's interesting even too, as you talk about how people are, they're interested in the container rather than the content. I would go another step and say that they're not even really interested in their own container. They're interested in other people's containers, which is even one degree more further separated from their spirit. Because not only are they not interested in their spirit, you know, or not aware of their spirit a lot of the time, they're not even in that much awareness of the container for their own spirit. They're just super interested in all of these other containers outside of them and what that has to do with what they think is important. I I've been looking a lot, you know, at how the mind creates these these projected virtual realities. And it's a very powerful thing to be able to do that, but it can be powerful in the positive. It can also be very powerful in the negative. It can be deeply destructive, some of these virtual realities we create for ourselves. This importance and the deepness of the importance, you know, of, of recognizing, as you say, that our body, my body, was the one that was given to me. And this is my portal into my inner kingdom. Yeah, and the interesting part is because the physical world is infinite, it's all these possibilities, infinite possibilities so and looks yes. that exist. And that is really the beauty of oneness. Yes, It's that variety that exists in it. Mm. But we get attracted 
to certain things yeah. as we observe. As I'm looking at somebody else with their looks or whatever it is, I begin to want to be that. And that's where this whole shift takes place, as you're talking about. We lose, maintain our own body in search of finding another body which really doesn't belong to us. So true. And I mean, I was speaking to a dear poet friend recently that you met, actually, my friend Mandy. Mm. I was telling her, you know, how that I believe the body is actually the purest form of scripture and how scripture is, is language and it's specifically language that is supposed to be sacred, contain, you know, holy, holiness. John talks about Jesus and says that the word was made flesh. And you're talking about the body as a container for the spirit. Language is really interesting because language is a container and it either contains spirit or it doesn't contain spirit. It can do both just as a cup can either have the wine in it or cannot have the wine in it. And in that very same way, at every single moment, our body is saying something. It is language. The way that we live is language. The way we interact with other people's language. And there is a way to speak that is completely dead then devoid of, of spiritual meaning, spiritual life, empty of that wine. And then there is a way to speak where every single small action that you take, every breath that you have, every small movement of your hand or flutter of your eyelash is so filled with spirit that it's the holiest scripture that has ever been uttered, even if you say nothing. Well, the way to look at it is the wine cellar is the one who has already decided the cup for it mm. in order for the wine that yes. the wine cellar is going to put in it. Mm -hmm. So the body that has been formed for us yes. has been also created by the spirit wow. that has made it. Everything is arranged and designed for the certain spirit that is going to go Beautiful. there. Beautiful. So important. That recognition that, wait a minute, yes. my body is a gift. Yes. It's a gift that I received. Yes. It's a gift that I'm in it. A specialized gift for you specifically and your spirit specifically. I love the metaphor of, of plants and the way that plants grow because I think in some ways it's such a simpler, clearer illustration of how optimum life is supposed to work. And we actually came from plants originally. I, I heard recently this, which I guess I knew theoretically, but I'd never actually thought of, that all life actually started with one single cell. There was an original cell at some point, and then it divided. Yes. And from that original division, all life has come from, you know, and so we are actually literally genealogically related to all forms of life that we know of, at least here on the planet. In that way, plants are directly our ancestors. And I mean, I'm talking distant relatives, but you know, we still have quite a lot in common with the plant, actually. If you look at the way that the nervous system goes down through the spine, you know, and branches out at the base, that's like roots. And then it follows up this long stem or tree trunk that is our spine the spinal column, you know, and then branches up into the brain. I mean, that looks a lot like a tree. We still have a lot in common with that. And I love the metaphor of the plant. And one of the things I think is so interesting about it is that plant is part sunlight and part dirt. And when you mix those two things together, dirt and sunlight, you get a plant. And of course, that's a very simple way of talking about it. But it's really interesting, I think, because I think the physical part of the body represents that dirt, you know, and then 
the spiritual part represents that light, the sunlight, the powers of that plant. And it is the mix of both of them in equal measure, equal value and equal importance that end up creating that plant. And a lot of so-called spirituality, people just keep talking about the sunlight and they're like, we need to be more like the sunlight. We need to be more like the sunlight. And that's not how plants do it. Plants are very earthy and they're not trying to escape their, their earth. I think that they're trying to take that sunlight take the spirituality and merge it with the physicality. That's where the power seems to be. Hafiz has a verse, he says, Digaran qur'ayi qismat hame bar aish zadand. Dele kam didei mabud ke ham bar zad. Everything in the universe had their destiny set and they followed it. It was our desirous heart that began the trouble for us. <laughs> As you mentioned in the plants, a tree is not desiring for anything. A tree is treeing. Mm. A leaf is leafing. Mm -hmm. A flower is flowering. They're not hoping to get somewhere or they're not trying. They're just doing what they're doing. Right. As human beings... We're not that way. We're right. the only creatures on this planet that we do things out of program or destiny or there's a, there's a goal for mm -hmm. us, but nothing else in the universe has right. a goal. Right. See, the plant is enjoying planting. Is <laughs> 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 not enjoying in the hope of getting somewhere. Yeah. Just enjoys whatever it is. This is it. And that is really the divine power. That is really, truly what you're talking about mm -hmm. as, as the kindred spirit. Mm -hmm. Because that's the energy, that's the power that we need to have the guidance from. Not looking at such and such person and try to look like him or do oh, things exactly. Like I mean, yeah, there's so many metaphors and illustrations in how plants grow that I think are so valuable to remember. I mean, even just what you just said, you would never see a plant being like, I want to be a really successful plant. That guy over there looks successful and he's got three, three leaves and four flower buds. So I'm going to try to create that for myself so I can also be successful. Never, never, never. You know, there's a complete focus on what's right for this body, what's right for this particular location with the things that I've been given as a plant, you know, and where the sunlight is. They're always making decisions directly based on what would be the most advantageous for their own personal growth. And sometimes in workshops, people often in the work we both do, you know, will describe it as life-changing. And that's great, but it's also kind of funny to me because I make a joke sometimes and I say, if plants had Instagrams, every single day they would post a picture and it would be hashtag life-changing, hashtag life-changing, because their lives change every single day. They're always pulling up nutrients, they're always putting them out, they're always growing every single day. And humans have this weird ability to not grow for many, many years, sometimes nearly an entire lifetime. They can keep themselves from growing by divorcing themselves from this heritage of life that we've had for millions and millions of years. But the incredible thing about our ability to do that, the same reason why we can divorce ourselves from that life process by creating this virtual reality, is the same reason that we can create symphonies and take plants and change their form to make paints or food or a million other things. So it's, it's this blessing and it's this curse to be able to 
jump off of, of the track of all of the rest of life. Today, we are very fortunate to have Dr. Emin Kuliev with us. Dr. Kuliev is a Russian-born American medical doctor. He uses a lot of the healing concepts that he's learned from the Eastern practices, and he brings it into today's practices. Would you like to say something? Basically, the very simple research that was done in early, mid-50s, last century, Plant consciousness, which we don't know much about, but uh, and plant consciousness uh, interaction with human consciousness. Based on your rose garden, you can probably maybe attest to that. We're all basically we're all on on the planet Earth, uh, and we are all energy deprived. Every single war on this planet is a war for energy. The same thing with plant. Attention is energy. When plants receive attention from human being, which we call at this time higher level of consciousness. I would question that uh, higher and lower in terms of the whole things. Who knows? Maybe plants are level of consciousness that is higher than our level of consciousness, human level of consciousness. But when plants get attention from us, from humans, they grow. Um, when they're given negative attention, Simply in word form, when in vibration of the word form, when you come to a plant and you uh, chastise this plant, they, they're stalled, but stay, they still continue to grow. When they're totally ignored by human beings, when they live around human beings, they die. That's how interesting those two consciousness, human consciousness and plant consciousness, interact. And second comment I would like to make about this connection between spirit and physical body. That was what Goethe was thinking for the last 20, 30 years of his life about interaction of spirit and physical body. And there is a verse from him which I cannot recall right now. He was specifically interested in the war that occurs between physical body and the spirit. He was actually interested in health and healing too. And he made a very interesting analogy. He, He thought that physical ailments physical diseases are related to disconnect between physical body, you alluded to it as dirt, and a light or spirit. Actually, you're talking about energy that transforms from human into the plant. Energy is a power. Correct. And it has an impact, which is what you're saying that sometimes plants grow faster. Right. Because of the right. energy that they get. So there is, aside from the energy that they get from the water and the soil, there is this other energy that get from human. Correct. I want to take back this to your concept of kindred. There is this other energy that is also necessary for us. Same way as food gives us energy, sun gives us energy. If, if it happens with the plants, obviously it happens with human as well. At the same time, there's got to be another energy that causes us to grow more joyful or be depressed. Because, yes, I do experience that with my roses. I experience that with the flowers that I have in my studio. They last longer than when they're even on the bushes outside. 
because they feel the attention that they receive. Now we can take it from the plant into human being and begin to search for that attention that we need, and that is obviously connected with love. Well, Jesus has this other really interesting quote. He said several interesting things, actually. <laughs> Surprisingly. <laughs> and he says, Humans cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that's a really interesting statement if you look at it closely, because first of all, he's suggesting that somebody who's only subsisting on physical food isn't actually alive, even though there's clearly a lot of people who are eating food and aren't necessarily at least consciously consuming any kind of, you know, quote unquote, word, word from the mouth of God. So it's kind of, to me, suggests there's a way of living that's like a physical life, but then there's a way of living that is a spiritual life as well. And to me, that's related to what we were talking about with how you can have a cup, but then you can have a cup that has something in it. So for me, it became very interesting to kind of explore, well, what does it mean by these words that proceed from the mouth of God in relation to what we're talking about? I think there's a really strong indication here of there's a spirit inside of us, which you could say is the mouthpiece of God, is, is the place in us that is most directly related to God, connected to God. And that through the spirit, through the spirit expressing itself, there's a form of energy that can come out when the spirit expresses itself that awakens a kind of a life in a similar way that a master musician's fingers will awaken the energy inside of a string to cause it to vibrate and make a sound come out. The sound was already there in potential, but it hadn't been awakened. And for me, the words that proceed out of the mouth of God is this energy that comes in like the fingers and strums on these strings. Another quote I love is Emerson, you know, Ralph Waldo Emerson, who said, all the world is strings, lines of tension waiting to be struck. You know, Beautiful. so powerful to just see all of everything, this desk, this person, this body as a string of tension, just waiting to be struck. I, it's one of the most beautiful descriptions I've ever heard of the universe. Rumi begins his testament, Masnavi. He begins with, He begins the book with, listen to the read, telling the story. Yes. See, he sees everything as the read, as you know, the, the cover, and it's empty inside. And the read begins to talk about how the breath of divine came into me and began all of these other things that continues into the book, which connects with what you're saying. And I think it's really interesting, further to your point about this relationship between plants and humans, uh, which I think is is fascinating. And I think that's a really deep subject that for me is almost like a whole another big tangent we can go on. But there does seem to be a, an incredibly profound relationship between humans and all other forms of life here, and even inanimate objects, how the body is capable of taking this piece from here, this piece from here, this piece from here, and amalgamating them into a new thing. That's how everything is created. And we've spoken about that a little bit, you know, about how how the body, in some ways you could look at it, is this great sifter of the elements of the world and pulls out different pieces and creates new forms with these things. All inventions are from that. All discoveries are from that. And even recently I learned that the word invent 
actually comes from a Latin root that I think is bear or something like that, but it meant to find. So even the act of invention was really about finding and discovery than it is about creating something from nothing. But just to finish this piece, I think looking at the world, like all of these strings of tension, you can look at the reed, and if you're not applying the spirit to the reed, if you're not listening with the spirit, if you're not speaking with the spirit, it just remains a reed. But the moment that Rumi brings in spirit to it, he's now becoming you know, that master strummer. And people can look at the whole world and they could say, oh, it's just a bunch of plants, it's just a bunch of animals, nothing's really happening. And then you get a spiritual person. And I almost don't even like that term because it indicates some kind of a different level or something. And I would just say someone in which the spirit is alive and moving and active. And they step into that exact same world and they say, whoa, can you hear the music? Everything is singing. Everything is speaking. Everything is playing. For me, when I hear you speak about plants are responsive, what I would guess, what I would feel that they would be most responsive to is actually that spirit energy speaking in. George Washington Carver, who I think found like hundreds of uses, you know, for the peanut. One of my favorite quotes from him is, uh, anything will give you its secrets if you love it enough. That's why Rumi takes that reed into a flute. The reed flute that speaks the heart, mm. speaks what has happened to it, where it came from. I think it was Albert Einstein who said, from a particle to star, we're all dancing to a tune played by a distant fifer. Wow. <laughs> which is the very similar thing in here. There's a distant fifer that plays, and we all move into it, yes. dance into it. So whether it's a, it's a plant or a human or an animal, it really doesn't matter. No. We all have the same nature, do the same thing. And I love the idea of bringing the concept of plant with the energy because it's not just for the plants. If you bring it, the whole concept to the idea of the disease process, all it is is lack of attention. When your shoulder hurts, for example, shoulder requires attention in one form or another. If you give this attention to the shoulder, blood will follow, oxygen will follow, nutrients will follow. Uh, simple exercise may cure quite a, quite a few parts of our body which lack attention. I lack blood supply, lack oxygen supply, lack nutrient supply. So really, we speak to our own blood same way as we speak to our own breath and guide it. Which is the same theme we keep talking about of this merging and this interaction between the physical and, and the spiritual. You know, it's like Rumi takes the reed and he transforms the reed by a merger of the reed and his breath. This stunning music comes out that you couldn't entirely say is Rumi and you couldn't entirely say is the reed. It's really the merger of those two things. And I think that relationship is what's so powerful to be aware of. And even as you're saying now, with the blood moving just by the attention, to me, I see the direct parallel there between Rumi and the reed. But that's where all of this circles back for me to say, the body is an instrument. And the body isn't just any instrument. It's a reed on a scale of unimaginable power, because not only can it interact with a reed, it can interact 
with a bone. It can interact with the earth. It can interact with a bird. It can interact with a rose. It can even interact with itself. And when you really look at what the arts are, anything we call the arts, it's these complex and sophisticated interactions and interrelations of the body with itself or the body with plant material or animal material or mineral material in forms to build language to communicate with other bodies. I mean, I feel like one of the big missions of my life is to say the body is magnificent and beautiful and powerful far beyond the, the common cultural stories. It's the gift of God. The gift, the supreme gift. I mean, I was even thinking a little bit earlier in our conversation how one day they will be able to have cameras that are so small that they will be able to enter the body as these little nanobots and cells, which they're already pretty close to doing, but on an even larger scale, they'll be able to do this. And on that day, they will be able to see inside the body in a way that we've never been able to see before, the cellular structures and watching things split and divide. And that will be such a powerful art piece when people see that, that people will be stunned by it. But it's already happening. Exactly. It's happening right now. And every single human on earth is walking around in this thing that someday, once we have the technology, people will be like, wow. And it's like, it's already happening. And it's been happening the entire time. The pure miracle of how, how birth happens, we start with one cell. We start as one single cell and we divide and divide until there's 37.2 trillion you know, cells or something like that in the human body. That is a miracle on a massive scale. And you were just given that. You just woke up in this thing. And it's so easy to miss out on that, miss out on the, on the bigness and the importance of that. The work with kindred is really about you use the other person as a mirror to see yourself. And I, I've always been fascinated with that mirroring concept because I believe even Rumi uh, calls himself a mirror. He certainly re referenced Moses as a mirror, mm -hmm. you sure. know, and all of the great spiritual teachers. That's always been the message. And that's something I think that has been one of the prime human errors is we'll see these great things outside of ourselves, And as you said, we'll get so fixated on them and attached to them. And all of the true ones were always saying, no, 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 no. It's not me. Look back. This is supposed to be a mirror for you back to yourself. Because as long as these things stay in the virtual world, as long as they stay in the mental concept, it's just light floating around, if anything. It doesn't grow. It doesn't become life. It doesn't matter until it's in the matter of the body merged with those two things. And that's why kindred is about taking these supposedly spiritual concepts, but manifesting them through the body, allowing the body to speak, allowing the body to become so filled and overflowing with that wine of the spirit that now your body is used as a vessel to be able to interact with and connect with and, and heal and dance and move and sing and become that, that music that has always been inside of us in potential since the very beginning. As long as it's potential, it's, its value is worth zero. And the moment that it's struck, suddenly you enter into the infinite value of numbers. That transformation takes place between the body and the soul through the entry. And that takes me more and more into recognizing that 
next time if somebody asks me what I am or who I am, I got to say I'm the gatekeeper mm. because, you know, you're keeping the gate. Yes, yes, yes. And, and you've got to be able to open that gate. Yes. We just keep on locking that yeah. gate and putting more locks on it and more locks on it, and we want to protect it. And we, so true. And we, the only person that we protect it from is ourselves. So true. That, that whole relationship, again, with this metaphor of Rumi and this reed, it just seems so poignant to me right now because we can come up with these virtual realities, as we've been talking about, which are judgments, you know, and ideas about things. And somebody could say, well, the reed is evil. Somebody could say, well, the reed is dumb. Well, somebody could say the reed is, is just a, it's a brown one. It's not worth anything. It's too bright. It's too skinny. It's too fat. It's too all these things. No matter what those judgments are, they only share one thing in common, which is that it will prevent you from interacting with that reed in a way that's going to make music. And in the same thing, people have done that to their own bodies. They have judged themselves by innumerable, you know, ridiculous judgments and non-valuable judgments and call it whatever belief system you want. I don't care. At this point in my life, I don't even care what people believe. All I care about is what they're doing. How do those beliefs affect their actions? That's the only thing that matters to me. And so you could believe that you come from a purple planet named Zabu. And if you're living a beautiful life and I feel that music coming through you, I will say, good for you. Exactly. So excited for Zabu and you. And someone else can say, I am of the holiest, holiest of beliefs. And Jesus himself spoke to me. And if you sit on your couch your whole day and you don't do anything for anybody else, and I, I don't care. I just do not care. It has to be the merger, the two things. That's when the music happens. And the problem is that we get so carried away with the maintenance of the physical body that we just keep on ignoring that gate. Mm -hmm. Even as an artist, when I'm painting, it takes me sometimes to open the gate. I cannot just stand in front of the canvas and say, God, come and paint for me. Energy, power, whatever you would call it. Come and paint. I have to get into that zone. I have to open the gate. I think this is really our job to attend to the gate and know when to open it, who is allowed to enter, who is not allowed to enter. So being a gatekeeper is a major task that we have to really pay attention to it. Who am I going to take it into my heart. What am I going to take into my heart? Is it going to be the money that I want to make? Or is it going to be a love for humanity that I want to share with others? And I think this is where the gatekeeper becomes responsible for opening the gate in a right way. And this is where the connection between the body and the soul takes place in a very careful, personal way. And this is where the problem is because we ignore walking our ways, doing things our own ways, and following our own inner power. I think one really important point that you made there about the, being a gatekeeper, I think is probably the central point of in the entirety of the human existence. You know, this incredible calling, destiny, responsibility, privilege is really the, to me, the central theme of, of the human experience. I don't think the great problem with humans is that we're evil. I think it's that we're ignorant. You know, we're blind. We don't remember. We don't see. 
we don't see this thing that's right here in front of us. We just look at the reed and we say, it's just a reed. And it takes the power of that spirit-filled person, the person who's connected, to say, oh, no, no, that's not a reed. That's a powerful, beautiful instrument. Through my journey, one thing that's become very apparent, I used to think that I was sent you know, to other people, that I came here to do something for them or make something for them or help them in some kind of a way. And what I've just come to understand the deeper I've gone into my own journey is that I was sent to myself. That's what I was sent to. And you could say, well, that's such a small thing, Jesh. That's such a small you know, vision. Other people are here for the world and you're just here for yourself. And I would say to those people, oh, but you don't know how big the self is. <laughs> I, I'm here for 37.2 trillion tiny little members, but they're each important. They're each significant. And I came here to help them. I came here to save them. I came here to lift them up. I came here to infuse them with spirit. Well, that, that, that's when the ego comes into the picture. Because, see, the connection with the self has got two ways. One way goes into the self. The other way goes from the self outward. If I love myself because I want everybody and everything for me, then it's going towards me all the time. Okay? That becomes negative. That becomes selfish. But if it's the other way around, like you were experiencing and you are experiencing, we are in here to expand, to go outward. We pay attention to the self, not to have the self becomes more nourished. It's to be a nourisher for the world. Well, as soon as we start using that language, it does get tricky because there's this kind of even we you know we switch between spirit and soul and self and body there's a lot there in semantics that can be difficult to understand it's a classically difficult thing to talk about but you're right what i'm specifically mentioning is is not talking about all of this you know for the sake of what people call the ego but i would say when you can really go down to a micro level and you could recognize that each of your cells have individual importance as members of the whole and treating each of them, you know, specially and individually is actually the work of an entire lifetime in a certain way of looking at it. What if we were like Christ to our own body? What if we came here as a messenger, as a healer, as a savior, literally of our own body and loved it, forgave it, healed it, performed miracles in, inside of it? It is like you are the leader of this entire massive country of you. How you love them or how you ignore them affects the entire multitudes of you. And it comes right back to the beginning of what we were talking about earlier when you said there's three forms of interaction, basically, between humans and plants. And one is giving loving attention. The other is giving negative attention. But the worst of all, in fact, is not even negative attention, which you would assume would be the worst. The worst is complete ignorance. And that's actually also true in, in the studies of trauma. The children who turn out the worst are not, in terms of health problems and mental problems, are not even the ones that are physically abused, which shocked them when they realized this. Because even when there's physical abuse, the child at least still has some understanding that they're important enough to be, to have attention, even if it's negative attention. The children that end up with the deepest of the psychological problems, according to their studies, are the ones who are completely ignored by the parents. Mm -hmm. When you take that very powerful understanding into our own relationship with our bodies, it's pretty sobering and it's pretty powerful because if we're honest, probably most humans on the planet 
have a relationship with their own bodies that's much more similar to a relationship of ignorance than it is even to, even to negative attention, let alone to loving attention. And what could happen if people started moving up the ranks of that attention and started pouring in not just even negative attention, but even love? Because you look at a lot of these rock stars and other people you know, who become big in the world, a lot of those people are often diagnosed with things like narcissism and stuff like that, which is a lot of attention to the body, to, to themselves. And even that, you can see the form of energy that that can end up creating in somebody. They can end up growing quite you know, big because of that. That often also is paired with things like very self-destructive you know, tendencies and, and things that can end up in suicide and stuff. Mm-hmm. But what if there's even a level beyond that, which is not only attention to the body and attention to the mind, but a love of it, a love of it. And I was just in Bali, you know, last week, and I was saying, here's what I think enlightenment is. I, I don't think it's some grand faraway thing that nobody can ever attain. I, what if enlightenment is just using your body in the way that it was meant to be used? What if it was just having a healthy relationship and a strong, powerful relationship with the body? What if it really was as simple as that? The Wisdom of Madness is produced by Rasuli, Jesh Durox, and Elizabeth Joy Wyndham. Our theme music is by Nicholas Poshberg. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you know someone who would appreciate this podcast, we encourage you to share it, screenshot it, and airdrop it to your friends, family, and community. Music